This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant. And on the line, out from the star where they're actually having things on a Tuesday because they play on Thursday, uh, is our own David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? Jason Garrett would tell you, Kevin, today is not Tuesday. Today is Friday. Oh, that's right. I forgot. New calendar. This could be Jason's whole problem. He doesn't know what day it is. Do we have the <laughs> Do we have the pleasantries out of the way? <laughs> wow, are we moving along? Can here? we get down to business here? I had I, I wrote down questions. <laughs> Evan has written down questions because Evan has trouble remembering what he wants to ask. <laughs> okay, guys, I have written well, down some questions. Yes, did you? <laughs> yes, he's even forgotten. That he already asked that question. Okay, go ahead, Evan, with your questions. So I, I, I've got some questions here on the football firing line for you guys. I don't say football firing line. That's You're appropriating somebody else's. Oh, is there a show like that? Someone else's yeah. show. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's correct. We're on the football uh, Cowboys overtime show. Oh, no, somebody has a show like that. Too. Do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, we're here on the Ballsy Podcast, and I got some questions for you that I wrote down on Sunday. So the first one is already stale. Okay. Because I just, uh, I, I just think there's some questions here we need to answer. Keep um, saying that. At this point in time, now. Yeah. This question, of course, having gone well off track, uh, I think we know the answer because the best thing going for Jason Garrett right now is the Philadelphia Eagles. But yeah, do the Cowboys win this division? The Eagles' schedule seems to be remarkably easier. David, you go ahead and go first. Will the Cowboys win the division? Yes. Was that the question? That's the question. Yes, I believe they will through through no fault or expertise of their own. But uh, plenty of yeah, fault. I mean, you know, they they meet they meet again uh, in Philadelphia in Week 16. Dallas has played very well. Dallas has been outstanding in the division uh, the last several years. The, the one thing, there, there have been a lot of things that have fallen apart for the Cowboys this year that have been uncharacteristic of any other year under Jason Garrett. But one thing to this point, which has not fallen apart, has been their ability to win within the division to give themselves a, a leg up on the competition. So I, I believe that, you know, that, that, to me this, this kind of summarizes where you – where this division is and, and the Cowboys' chances. And, and there are several different models out there, and all the percentages are slightly different. But this is, this is pretty much the consensus. The Cowboys going into New England a week and a half ago 
had a 58% chance to win the division. In a span of five days, the Cowboys lost to New England in a driving rainstorm. The owner called out the coach, the coaching staff, came back, was blown out at home by a Buffalo team, so lost two games in five days, and their chances to win the division are now at 70%, or have gone up to 68.9%. So they lost two games in five days, won a blowout at home, and their chances of winning the division actually increased. Well, and that, the win probability model in, in those things favors – as long as the team's pursuing you lose, it really doesn't matter what you do. Um, so I, I, that that favors the Cowboys because the Eagles went down and laid a great big sure. eagle egg in Miami um, and, and left themselves a, a full game behind the Cowboys. And, and the Cowboys, obviously, at this point in time, own the tiebreaker. Kevin, and David, I think you made the point on Twitter the other day, right, that this team could go 7-9 and nine in your mind and still win the division as long as the one win comes over Philadelphia. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I believe they're in that position. Yeah, and, and uh, look, they can, regardless of what happens or regardless of what Philly does in the next two weeks, uh, say Dallas loses these next two games against Chicago and the L.A. Rams, which they certainly could do. If that scenario unfolds and Dallas beats Philadelphia in Week 16, and then beats Washington at home in Week 17, Dallas wins the division regardless of what else Philadelphia does. So, you know, you, they, you know the, the players here and others keep talking about how well, you know, they, uh, their backs are in the, you know, back, you know, backs against the wall. You've got to respond now. They're really not yet. I mean, this is going to go down to they can lose. Like I said, they can lose two games as long as they win their final two. They're in. They win the division. So that that is where things stand if you want to boil it down to uh, worst-case scenario, I guess, for the Cowboys. Kevin, do they win this division? Yeah. Right, let, me, let me ask you this way, Kevin. Is there any way they lose this division? Yeah, there, well, yeah, there is because uh, I'm not confident that they'll beat the – I know they have, uh, and but I'm not confident they'll beat the Eagles in Philadelphia. This year just has such a feeling of, you know, just when you think the Cowboys are in a position, okay, they kind of – you know, they, they've never really made us believe in them, except for when they won three games in a row to start the season. So um, I, I, I feel like that would be, you know, the perfect ending to this season for them to go there and lose, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and then be out of the playoffs altogether. Uh, and then at that point, uh, Jerry would fire everybody before they got on the plane. Right. Uh, so I, I, I think they, they should, certainly. I think they're good enough. You know, I thought there's – we we saw Sunday, uh, or whenever that was, when the Patriots played the the, Cow, uh, the the Texans in Houston. That Patriots team was begging to be beaten in Foxborough, you know, and that's what I think drove Jerry crazy in that game was that they, you know, Tom Brady. It wasn't wasn't just the weather. It's not just the fact that his wide receivers aren't very good. You know, Tom Brady's gotten by with those things before. He just doesn't look like Tom Brady anymore. And he certainly didn't look like him in Houston either, uh, and he's 42 years old. So, you know, maybe this is just a natural kind of thing to happen. But all of a sudden, some of these teams are beatable. Now Now Baltimore is playing great, uh, and, and I think, they're, you know, the Ravens are the odds-on favorite now. Look, if the Cowboys play Baltimore before this thing is all over with. Yeah, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. That, that's really well, a good but thing. 
Not really, because if they play Baltimore before this thing is over with, they made it to the Super Bowl. Well, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, you're you're right. Uh, but the the thing is, is that there are, you know, I I, I watched the that was a great game last night, by the way. You know, a Monday night game between uh, you know uh, Seattle and. Uh, Whoever <laughs> they play, Minnesota. Minnesota. I couldn't Minnesota. remember for a second. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a great game, and those are two really good teams. Uh, and and they played really well. It was really very entertaining. And, and also, you notice in those in those things too, David. I wanted to kind of run this past you before Evan asked his next question. You know, we're we're seeing more and more gadget plays. Uh, the Dolphins used a gadget play to beat the Eagles. Uh, the Cowboys' idea of a gadget play is is to have a double reverse. You know, uh, would the Cowboys ever? You know, pull out something. We we had in, in last night's game, we had a, a, a snap to the up back on a punt and a guy ran for a first down. Uh, I think the Cowboys, as you said, they are backed up against the wall. Isn't it time to pull out something like that? I don't think they're backed up against the wall. I agree with David. No, no, no. I, I just mean that they need well, – just for their own uh, – For their own psyches? For their own psyches. They need to start winning some games. They need to put a run together sure. here. You know, they, they talked about earlier that, that crazy thing, and David wrote a column about this and called them out for it, and I think he's exactly right. You know, oh, we don't want to peak too early. Right. It's a freaking 16-game season. It's not 162. You, there, there's almost no such thing as peaking too early in, in football. I mean, are we going to accuse the Patriots of that now? You know, because now they're ten and two. I just think it's ridiculous to, no, to say that kind of thing. No, I think good teams are on runs at this point in time because sure. everybody's everybody's through the bye week and and we're we're heading down the stretch. And I think the good teams are are on runs. They fix their issues. I saw. I, I watched college football from dawn till dusk on on Saturday. I saw a lot of gadget plays then too, and and I think that it's that time of year where all your tendencies are so well oh, yeah, known absolutely. that if you're going to, particularly if you're going to pull an upset, you've got to pull some kind of new wrinkle out. And, yeah, the cow. I don't think anybody considers the Cowboys a favorite to ever do something like that. What do you think, David? I think you'll see it in the NFC Championship game, Kevin. <laughs> so you're saying we got about four or five-year wait? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Well, I, I will say, yeah, they, they haven't been prone to those sort of plays, and and everyone likes to see those sort of plays, and I think, by and large, they can have a positive impact on your team. But I will say, you know, offensively, they're the number one ranked team in the league. They're in the top five, six in scoring. I don't think offense offensive production is the issue for them. I, I think they've had some turnovers in recent games that have hurt them. And I think if you look at the makeup of this team, that if they're going to go on a run here in the month of December, the offense is going to have to lead the way. They cannot expect the defense to do it. And all they can hope from the special teams at this point is not to have cost games for them like they did in New England. Right. Uh, that the, you know, the, the special teams aren't going to add value to any victory they have just to stay out of the way and don't cost Dallas a, a win, I, I think is basically the, the stance on special teams at the moment. So I, I think offense is going to have to spark any sort of run that this team has been unable to get on in, in the last two months. And so given their issues with turnovers at the moment, I'm not particularly concerned that they haven't done a trick play right now. Um now, look, that being said, if you get deep into the Chicago game, now suddenly you look up. They didn't score a touchdown against New England. They had only one touchdown when it mattered against Buffalo. 
if you come out and you reach a stretch in, in, in uh, Chicago where you're not scoring after four or five possessions, yeah, let's see something a little bit different. Uh, let's, let's throw something at that Bears defense, which is pretty good, uh, that they're not expecting. But uh, out of the gate, I wouldn't say so. I, I think uh, efficiency is more the issue with their offense right now rather than uh, a lack of production or, or the need for a spark. All right. The next, the next issue is, Kevin, you were there in, in uh, uh, two weeks ago when Jerry called out mm-hmm. the coaching staff. Uh, and we all knew what we thought that message was at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Then they go out and lose again against Buffalo. Jerry has an emotional response where he comes up and he believes in Jason Garrett. So here's my question to both of you guys. Has Jerry done the right thing in each of these last two weeks? How has he handled what he's trying to accomplish? Well, you know, uh, first of all, how often do you see, and let's just refer to Jerry as the GM, uh, how often do you see a GM call out the coaching staff after a game? Not often. Almost never. Never. Uh, and not follow through on something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That, that usually means that something bad is about to happen. But but we're we're also used to playing under a different set of rules with Jerry. That it, I frankly, I don't even think about that. You know, when I was writing the column after that game, it, it didn't occur to me that because a lot of people were were telling me in, in, on Twitter and in emails. Well, why don't you write about the fact that Jerry should be the GM? And it's like, oh my gosh, that train is down the track. You know, that's never happening. And They'll so, pry the GM out of his cold dead hands. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't even think about that anymore with Jerry. What you're thinking about is, I want to see what his reaction is. I want to get it. I want to gauge his temperature here. It is, and, and so we we know a, a lot of people nationally jump to this conclusion. Oh, Jason's going to be fired on Monday. You know, because of what Jerry said on Sunday. Right. You know, and I just thought, are you people not paying attention? I mean, you know, Jerry's not going to fire him now. Of course he's not. You know, this is not the same thing for a couple of reasons. One being that the Cowboys still had a chance to win the division. Jerry still believes they're good enough in talent to make a run. And so why would you fire the head coach? And there's and when there's nobody on the staff that you're going to say, oh, yeah, here's the obvious guy. To you're talking about coach. but you're talking about in the immediate aftermath yeah. of, of the Patriots loss. Yes. Yes. OK. Correct. All right. Did you envision a and, and before I, I David, I want you to weigh in on this too. But before we go any further, my question for you would be: That was your take in the immediate aftermath, right? Did you envision a scenario where they would get humiliated at home, and what the aftermath of that might be? I didn't did not think they would lose to the Bills at home. Of course, I've only picked them. I've only gotten them right like four times this year. Just you know? don't pick them against any of the good teams. <laughs> yeah, apparently, or or the Jets. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't think they were going to lose. And I didn't think they were going to lose that badly. You know, most of their losses, except for the Packers, you know, they 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 played pretty well. You know, uh, so uh, no, I wouldn't say played well. They they kept it close. close. Let's say that. Um, so so you know what? It was predictable what Jerry would say after that. Uh, it was. I think so. Did he backtrack a little bit? I mean, uh, no. I talk think, about belief. I think he would. He believed, uh, and and that's why I wrote a column. Just you know, I went back and and found the Giants season, which uh, that was unusual. That well, two, I want to talk about that in a minute. But uh, 2011, that uh, you know that they were six and six at one point, and then they rallied, and <laughs> which included two wins over the Cowboys, and then went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and there are some similarities between those two teams. Uh, and, and a lot of people on Twitter, a, a lot of people on Twitter <laughs> did not like that uh, idea at all and thought it was ridiculous and said that that was a great Giants defense and they are misinformed about that. There were some good, there are some good defensive players on that team, 
But they were ranked 27th in defense that year, the Giants were. So the Cowboys have a better defense. They have a better offense than the, the Giants had that year. Now you can argue whether they have a better coach, whether you like Tom Coughlin better than Jason Garrett. Uh, but at any rate, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't really feel like Jerry was backing up there. I, I think his, he wanted to express his frustration over the New England loss, knowing that this will go over with the fans. They will like this. They will like the fact that I'm showing my frustration. I'm frustrated too. You know, that's Jerry. But then, but then after the Bills game, he, he can't pile on top of that. What else is he going to say? So now Jerry is spinning it as, you know, okay, we can still win this all, you know, this whole thing. And, and, when, and as far as that belief in, in Jason thing, I don't think that he was saying, oh, Jason's okay. I don't think he was saying that at all. I, I think he was just saying that. And, and frankly, I, I, I agreed with him in both cases. He, I thought he should have been frustrated. Uh, about the New England game, and I thought in Buffalo after the Buffalo loss, uh, even after that kind of loss, yeah, they 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 could still do this. The Giants proved you can do this. Uh, so and and I do think that they are good enough. And so now it's a question of whether you believe in them or not. And they, when they haven't beaten that that Giants team had beaten the the Patriots that year, right before they went on a four game losing streak. The Cowboys have still yet to beat anybody who make you believe for sure that they can do this. But I'm not saying that they can either. David, you, <clears throat> what was your take, knowing what took place two we, uh, ten days ago? What was your take on uh, on the way Jerry handled it post game on Thursday? Uh, I I agree with a lot of what Kevin said. I'll I'll, I'll try to like talk about a little bit different part of it because a, a lot of times when you get Jerry's response, you have to interpret it through Jerry the owner and Jerry the GM. And those can be two different objectives. Um, I, I agree with what uh, Kevin said from a, like a, a fan standpoint and just expressing frustration. And, and uh, uh, but I, I think in specifically calling out the coaches, I also think Gary. I think that was his like last motivational ploy that he could use. I think this was his. This was his inspirational speech. This was his grabbing a guy. Uh, by the jersey back in the days when you could do that and getting in his face and uh, yelling at him and putting the fear of God in him. And, and I think it was, uh, you know, Jerry serving notice that, look, uh, you guys haven't been getting it done. Time is running out. This coaching staff needs to, uh, I used this phrase earlier, add value to what this team is doing on the field, uh, not just sit there, not detract from it. Uh, we're losing close games. The coaching staff needs to show me something that it can do something to help win close games, not just sit there or do something that, that uh, factors into a loss in close games. So I think he was putting them on notice. I think it was, you know, certainly we had the right bunch in here. They're going to respond. And then to see how they didn't respond, well, Jerry fired a shot now. So all he can do is show support. And I do think he has a sense of, of obligation and duty where, you know what, uh, I assembled this team. They're all together. They wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. Uh, they've earned the right to either rewrite the script here and, and rise from the ashes or all go down together. And you know what, Jason's the captain of the ship. He's earned the right. Uh, to, to ferry the ship all the way through, whether it's going to, to you know, 
be grounded on the rocks or, or whether you get out to sea and, and, and go to something greater. So here, let's do it. It's, it's all up to you guys now. I'll support you. Uh, but you know these are the final days. Let's see what you can do. So I, I think that's – I don't think those two messages are incompatible with, with what he said after the game. I, I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, uh, you know, the, the support of Garrett and the coaching staff after the game – was a broader support, and I know what these guys are about. Uh, I know them. They have my back. I have theirs. But, look, he, he set the parameters in place when he didn't extend them. Uh, the parameters, you know, this season was never a referendum on Jason Garrett's coaching ability in the regular season. Uh, it, it was about his ability to take his team past the divisional round in the postseason. And now this this regular season has been unexpected, and their ability to do that appears compromised. And you can say all that, but now step back and, yeah, I mean, they they are in the best position to win the division and host a first-round game. So uh, it's still all in front of them. In Jerry's mind, what the objective was, which is let's see how far this team can get in the postseason. And right now at this stage – there's really nothing else you can do. I mean, if you thought you could make a change and spark them uh, on a postseason run, you would do it. But who here can do that, and what have you seen that would lead you to believe that would happen? So, Kevin, you've written all along, they've got to make the NFC Championship for this season to be considered a step forward for yeah. Jason to hold his job. Is that good enough now? Is it, is it still good enough? Uh yeah, if he gets why why not? I okay. mean, because at this point, if he gets to the NFC Championship game, everybody's going to say, "Wow, okay, all right." Mm-hmm. You know, I think fans would be ecstatic to think that after they were six and six, that they went on a run and got themselves all the way within a step of the Super Bowl. Uh, so so yeah, I, I think that would do it. I I think though actually. It probably was compromised a little bit uh, because of this season. It's, this is disappointing. Jerry doesn't want this kind of publicity. I mean, you know, I mean, he, any publicity is good publicity to Jerry. But you want people talking about your team as being a contender. He 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 floats on that kind of thing. So, um, but you know, I, I will go back to this, the same thing. I think we we've seen a couple of teams in the NFL this year really dominate uh, ba- basically Baltimore and, and then the Patriots were but now they're what two and two over their last four games uh, so uh, you know I, I think you know what you get in the NFL is a is a, a lot of mediocrity um, and uh, there are occasionally teams will uh, you know, move forward and establish themselves the 49ers did this year until now but now they're going to be a wild card team because the Seahawks have made this a uh, great run. So uh, how crazy is that, that the, that the 49ers who have played so well all year and have played really great defense are going to be a wild card team and the Cowboys have a good shot at hosting a home game in the first round of the playoffs. What are you, you wrote a good, you wrote a good column, which is oh, the norm for you. Actually. Oh, that's nice. Um, but what do you think are the differences between Jason's situation and Coughlin's situation. Coughlin's in 2011? Yeah. Um, I, the one that they had already beaten the Patriots before they had a – then they lost four they games They already had a, a quality win. They had a quality win. This team doesn't have a quality win. Yeah, this team doesn't. That, that team at least showed you that they can do this. Uh, they can beat a good team. Uh, also, that team had already won a Super Bowl. Uh, 
uh, you know, and so they were all kind of operating under the belief that, all right, we're struggling here and we're not doing well, but we've got it in us. We've got it in us to do this. Uh, I, you know, I don't know these young Cowboys well enough. And this is one of the things that I think is an interesting question. And I think, uh, I'd like David to answer this as well is that, you know, you got so many young guys on the team and you had Michael Bennett calling out, uh, players after the uh, loss to the bills in the locker room, uh, which he was yelling in there. And, and some of the comments he made, one of them was something about, uh, you can't be worried about whether you're the highest paid player at your position. And of course that, you know, that sounds like you're talking about DeMarcus Lawrence, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Dak Prescott, um, all really good players for the Cowboys this year. And one of them has a, uh, two of them have contracts. One of them still wants one. Uh, they're not necessarily going to be the highest pay- paid players at their position, but they're going to be close. Uh, and then after we heard what was said, you know, when that whole silly conversation about not peaking too early, um, I, I don't question, uh, the desire of Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott to win. They, they, uh, um, Dak has, has demonstrated that time and time again, you know, he, he's clearly a guy who plays hard, wants to win, do the right thing. Doesn't, he's not going to coast, you know, but occasionally you got to wonder, you know, this always goes back to me in baseball. When a guy makes an error, uh, you didn't just make an error. You didn't just put this guy on. Now you've, you've, you've lengthened this inning. Now you've, this pitcher is throwing more pitches. You've extended the stress on the pitcher. Yeah. You forced somebody else to make an error, Yeah, uh, to make a play. Right. You may have forced other guys the next inning to alter their approach at the plate. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not an individual yeah, mistake. Yeah, it's a compound problem here. And and I think when the, when the Cowboys, I wonder sometimes if they realize that, that you, know, you have to get this stuff right. I mean, it's like going to, going to Foxborough, the Cowboys had to play a nearly perfect game. That's what impressed me about the Nick Saban and the loss to Auburn uh, was that, you know, he could have complained about a lot of things after the game, and he did a little bit, you know, putting the second back on the clock before the half. To let, and I have to agree with him. Well, but. absolutely, that was crazy, to let Auburn kick the field goal. Uh, stuff happened at the end of the game. Then his kicker misses a 30-yard field. And I thought I, when that happened, I, I told my sons, he's going to kill that kicker. And and then after the game, Nick's, he kind of complained about all the things, but he said about, about his kicker, he said that no one's more hurt by that than Joe. Uh, you know, we all feel bad. And then he said, what we had to do when we came here was we couldn't make mistakes. We're playing a good team. And we come here, he says, we, we had too many penalties. We had too many plays where we, we didn't do things. We, we weren't disciplined. And that's what – and that's exactly right. He got to the heart of the matter. And that was the deal with the Cowboys in that loss to the Patriots. You can't expect to come up here and miss a block and get up and get a, a, a punt blocked. You, you, you can't do those kind of things. You can't, you know, not field the ball where you're supposed to field it. You got to do everything right. And then you got to hope that you make some plays beside that. That's where the, that's the first thing you got to do. That's what I, to make another baseball now, just what I always say about my shortstop. First of all, I want him to make all the plays he's supposed to make. And then he can make some extras. I don't, I don't care as much about the extra plays right. as make all the plays you're supposed to make. And that's the problem with this Cowboys team. They're not making all the plays they're supposed to make. You know, they're they're making too many mistakes, especially on special teams. They're the they're the worst special teams team in the league, uh, and and that's and that's critical for for a guy who talks about all three phases, 
like Jason Garrett does all the time, then why is this phase so lousy? You've got you got one of the two or three best offenses in the league. You've got a defense that is at least representative. It's right in at least in the middle, close close to the top ten uh, in the league, even with all the the complaints we've had about it this year. It's still at least that good. Uh, but the special teams are just terrible, uh, and that's and that's for a team that's that hasn't won a young team. I think that's an issue for me. Uh, I'm not. They remind me of the Astros. Uh, in that, you know, a couple years ago in 2017 when they won, it was because they brought in some older guys, some older heads, some guys to straighten people out, you know, let them know that these are the things you can't do and these are the things you have to do. Uh, and I'm not sure that the Cowboys have enough of that. So I want to ask David that question. David, do you, do you feel like that this in this locker room uh, that there are enough – guys who will stand up like Michael Bennett did. And, and not, not that people need to be yelling and screaming all the time, and I don't want that, but just enough that people can understand, hey, this is the way you got to – this is what you got to do. Well, I think that uh, – one, let's start with Bennett. I, you know, I, I don't know that his words are going to resonate in this locker room. He's only been here a month. Uh, right. He really, you know, he doesn't have that many close relationships on this team, from which I can tell. Now they respect him as a player. Uh, they know what he's accomplished. They know he's won a Super Bowl, and and, and they haven't. Uh, but you know, he, he doesn't. You know, even when they warm up, he warms up off by himself. He's not part of the team. He, he's he's a loner and kind of sticks to his own routine. So I don't know the emotional impact or how that's going to resonate with the players in the locker room because of that, uh, because he just doesn't have the relationships with them. Two, that doesn't mean there's not a lot to what he said and it's not accurate. You know, sometimes people on the outside can have a better read of what's going on than the people who are in the midst of battle. And, and I think he nailed several key points in, in what he said. Uh, and that gets to your last point. I think there, you, you also hear Jason Garrett talk about getting the right kind of guys, and, and you look at who they've drafted in the years. Uh, most of them have been the captains of, of their college team, so they're clearly going for uh, a, a sort of personality profile in addition uh, to personnel expertise when they're when they're drafting here. And I think this is a locker room with a with guys a lot at the same age who all have a sense of obligation to each other, uh, who all hold themselves and everyone around them accountable, but they also, in liking and respecting those people next to them, they're not going to get in their face and yell and say, what in the hell are you doing? you got to do this. What you know? It's going to be, hey, look, you know, I, I know you're trying here, but, but we need to do this. We need to do that. So I think there's accountability, but... It's in the respectful way that really you want you want and seek in your workforce, but everyone believes football is a little bit different, and you have to be in someone's face. You have to induce fear. You have to yell in order to get it out of them. And uh, I, I do sense there's a little bit of that this year, though. I think there's so much respect. Uh, these players have so much respect for each other, and they're all about the same age. Uh, that they're all friends, and it's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to call out my friend. Yeah, he's not playing good, but uh, I, I know he's trying. I know he cares about it because I know him. Uh, so I don't think you have those sort of 
big, fiery, emotional speeches like Michael Bennett. And, and look, what people want, people want results. And, and people tend to link results to big, fiery speeches. But, you know, Philadelphia has had a lot of fiery speeches, from my understanding, from what I've been reading about what's going on up there this year. Uh, and it hasn't helped them. Uh, it, I don't think it matters whether it's a, a quiet accountability behind the scenes or uh, someone yelling uh, as long as it works. And and I don't know that either of these approaches have worked yet. Yeah, we, we all just love the narrative regardless of sport uh, of the drama. Right. Um, you know, if there's a closed-door meeting in baseball, obviously there's drama. Oh, they closed the clubhouse for an extra 20 minutes before anybody could enter. Or on, on Thursday when people heard shouting in the Cowboys locker room. We like that drama. I don't know how effective any of it ever is. Yeah, I want, I want to make a point here about that. All right, uh, is that when you when you asked me earlier about the similarities between the Cowboys and Giants that year in 2011, uh, Tom Coughlin reinstituted his leadership council, when, in which you had a group of players who came together, and then he would talk with them, and then they would relay that message. and And so, to, to David's point. Yeah, how, how much of these things work? Well, there were guys on the on that team who thought it worked really well. A reporter asked Elon Manning. He says, "I don't think it makes much difference. Right. Much difference." So it just it, it just depends on the guys, but you never can tell the impact it's going to have on somebody. Any in, in any case, Tom Coughlin thought it was important that year that after I deliver a message, I want somebody there who's going to make sure this message gets out to everybody. That it's not just something that I say and I walk out of the room and then and then it, it's not you know implemented. All right, now the. the on this point, how do you guys feel Garrett has handled the spot he's been put in? Obviously, he's been he's been put on notice over the last two weeks, and we've talked about that. Uh, I don't think his message in pressers uh, or public has changed much. Uh, do you think that there should be a different tone in his voice? I don't think it, it matters I, in, 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 to us. I don't think it matters in the media. He, that, he's made that clear. I don't care what you guys think or what you want. I'm just going to go ahead and give my same message. Now, whether he's given a different message to the team in a different tone, I, I don't know. I don't know that. And, and uh, I would expect he probably hasn't. Uh, I think that's one of the things that they like about him is that he's the same every day. You know, you don't want to come in – one day, and the, and the coach or manager is one thing, and the next day he's something else. Right. Unless you know something dramatic needs no, to you happen. No, you don't. You don't want a bipolar coach who's affected negatively by losses and who gets too high on wins. But. Yeah. Well, those guys don't last very long. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I'm not. I'm not sure what he's doing differently in his message. I'm not surprised by it. You know, I, I do think it's interesting that that people say. Well, see, that's that's why see, he's just a puppet. Jerry calls him out and calls his team out. And he doesn't do anything. Right. Name me a coach in in the NFL other than Bill Belichick who's going to after something like that get up and say, "Well, he's an idiot." You know, I'm not going to take that. Uh, n- no coach is going to do that. Right. You're just going to go, "Well, he's got his." No opinion. coach is secure enough to do that. No, they're not. David, what's your thought on? I mean, you're out there every day. Do you feel like Jason has? Well, I, I don't know what even how I'd describe what the tone is, but to me it just sounds, you know, it, it always sounds perfunctory, but I always see just the public persona, and, and I would think that I'd want to see something not necessarily fiery or challenging his team, but something that that suggests a little bit more, um, that sounds more accountable if that or, or culpable, if that makes sense. 
Sure. And let me offer this very critical assessment and then excuse myself so I can go talk to Jason Garrett and his <laughs> Good for you. very soon. Um, but, but no, I, I think, you know, you're right. Look, Jason Garrett prides himself on uh, consistency. Uh, he takes great pride in the discipline and the process of the day-to-day. And if you deviate too far from that, then do you really believe in those principles? So I think he's guided by those principles, what he considers his bedrock approach to how he interacts with the team. And if anything, in a situation like this, he's going to be he's going to double down and be even more conscious of it because he knows people are looking for him to deviate. And if they deviate, then does that mean he's showing panic or lack of belief in this team? And that could be more detrimental uh, to where this team is right now uh, than than you know deviating in his mind, if that makes sense. So. Sure. I, th- I think in a lot of ways he feels, look, all eyes are on me now more than ever because of the situation we're in. If I suddenly begin to act differently, the players will have the right to question and would be right, well, look, what's wrong? He doesn't believe in us anymore. He, he, thinks, we're, he thinks we're at, you know, we don't have it. We're at wit's end here. Uh, right. At the so, time that he really needs to stay the course with us, now he's deviating. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that is how Jason Garrett responds to these situations, and that is his thought process on why he does that. Now, let me say something else. He also prides himself on being a teacher, and he understands a lot of uh, a lot of getting the message across is it's the same message, but you have to continue to make it interesting. You have to continue to present it in different ways, and at some point. If your message isn't getting across, that's on you as a teacher. So as a teacher, it's incumbent on you to reach everyone and get the results that everyone wants, including your your students, pupils, uh, players. So how do you do that? I think Jason Garrett has had difficulty in, in pivoting at those times and still finding a way to be true to himself yet very, uh, the, not the routine, but very the message and, and very uh, how he comes across as far as the, the importance of the sense of urgency. And, and I actually, I, I think I do have an example of that. And this is, and look, I, I will also say too, very quickly here, there are two different contingencies. I mean, there are two different constituencies here. There's the fan base, which in my mind, Jason Garrett has already lost. Right. And there sure. is a team which he has not lost. Now, uh, but but I, I think this is I, I think this is an example of, of where you could do something. You know, he uh, uh, yesterday uh, he was asked in the news conference on, well, do you consider yourself fortunate from the standpoint that you still find yourself in this position, and that you lost these two games, and your chances of winning the division have actually increased? Uh, now, look. You, you know, there are different ways to answer that. He answered it the way he always answered these. is like, you know, we don't pay attention to that. We're just focused on today. We're focused on the process. What, what we have to do is take care of ourselves. Now, do you answer it that way? Or do you say, look, uh, 
yeah, we are fortunate because of what's going on around us. But it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We have to play better than what we've been playing. We have to do this. We have to do that. We haven't done it. If we don't start to do this, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It's not going to be enough. Now, to me, that's the same message delivered differently, but it's giving a, a sense of urgency or, a, or an accountability or, look, yeah, I, I'm cognizant of what's going on here. Things aren't going well. To me, that's still a positive message, but it acknowledges the reality. And I, I think sometimes he just doesn't acknowledge the reality. He gets so, he gets so tied up in the process that – you know what? Reality does intrude, and I, I think you have to acknowledge it at times in order uh, to get people to respond and get the best out of them. And and you just wonder if that is is happening. And and we're going to find out here for these final uh, four games in December. All right, David. We'll let you run and go talk to Jason. Um, thanks. Good stuff. Really appreciate it. And we will uh, talk to you next week. Look forward to it, guys. Bye, thanks David. A lot. You know, David makes a great point about that, and I think that's that's my issue with uh, with Jason. And I'm going to bring up a couple of things here. One of them is that the the players do respect him. You know, they respect who he is. He's consistent. You know, and and uh, and they know what he's putting out there. But what, now, I, that's I, that's a long term approach that that Jason takes. But, but I, I, there's a difference. Do they respect or do they like it? No, no, no. I think they respect him. Okay. I think they respect what he's doing and, and what he what he means and everything. But but here's the issue. It's like raising kids, you know. So he's 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 the same all the time, right? And so over the long term, this is great. And they may not always like what you're saying, but then when they're 25 years old, they go, "Man, you were a great parent. Right. You know, you did a great job with us." Back when I was 18, I thought you were crazy, right. and I wasn't listening to you right. when I was 18. But now I am. But you you're know? not raising these guys. But you're not raising these guys, and that's what. And that's to me goes back to the issue with Jason. He never seems to understand the moment. He never, you know, it, it, you know that's what goes back to game management. That goes back to clock management. Is that there are certain decisions that are made. And I want to bring up an example. I remember in the right stuff, they talked about Chuck Yeager, the great test pilot, and uh, and that that why do they? This was, of course, what Tom Wolfe's. Uh, I guess other people thought the same thing. Why is it that that uh, pilots always sound the same? Very laconic when they're on the, when they come on and they talk real slow and like this. And they say, "Well, everybody's mimicking Chuck Yeager," and that he was always very relaxed in the, in the cockpit, even when something was really bad was happening. But occasionally, you would have this thing that would happen, and I believe it's called hypoxia, but it, where a, a pilot would be at such an altitude that uh, he starts to lose consciousness. Yes, and um, this is what killed the LSU coach Bo Ryan. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and he said, you know, that, that at one time that they, that they were in, and Chuck Yeager realized this was happening to another pilot and he was always so relaxed. And then he, he barked at that guy and it's like, the guy's going, Oh my gosh, Chuck Yeager is yelling at me, you know? And then he kind of snapped out of it and was able to correct and, and to save himself. And I think that's the issue here is if Jason Garrett would take that attitude, mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, I, no, no, does it, want, but does it need to happen publicly? No, 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 not, okay, a, not so at all. I don't do, believe in that at all. All right, so no. do we? We have no reason to think he hasn't done that in the locker room. Uh, probably not. You there, just believe that he probably. We've hasn't. seen times in the locker room when they've had a camera in there. We've seen an emotional Jason Garrett right. in the locker room. So yeah, I, I think they believe that kind of thing would would happen. 
you know, I, I just, uh, you know, it goes back to everybody wants to compare to Jimmy Johnson, two different guys completely. The asthma field with Jimmy, Jimmy yelling, Jimmy the psychologist. I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to yell at this guy. I'm going to tell Charles Haley, you can't do this kind of thing. And if you keep doing this, you're gone. I'm not keeping you. And then next thing you know, Charles Haley's playing great, and they're on their way to the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, I don't, I don't think Jason Garrett does that kind of thing. Um, and and I and I, you know, there's a danger there of being something you're not. You know, there's a danger of of doing something and everybody looks at you and they start laughing. Right. <laughs> I don't believe that. Come on, you're not a bad guy. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna believe you're gonna right. do this to me if uh, if I don't respond in a certain way. So there there's a there's a danger of of moving past something that are your boundaries and and this is who you there's are. There's a danger in sameness too. I mean, at some point and, in time, absolutely, sameness right. becomes staleness, and it does. And you know, after ten years without having advanced to a championship game right. or the Super Bowl. Uh, certainly you're going to lose the fans. But I think they're also uh, – guys know exactly what to expect from Jason. And this is a time, these last four games of the regular season, uh, where they probably – I hate to say this because I think too often players play on emotion, and that's why, like on Rivalry Week this weekend, we saw 100 million unsportsmanlike conduct fouls. Yeah. Uh, but – there does need to be a little bit more sense of urgency passed on to the players, right? Yeah. At I this think point so. in time. I think so. Or we need to feel like the players have have more of a sense of urgency. And I just don't know if after 10 years, if anybody believes that that is actually going to happen. To be passed on to them. I want to say one last thing because we got to get out of here and do our little. Yeah, I got one boys. last one. I got one last question for you before we go. But go ahead. Uh, it, it's uh, you know we we talk about the fact oh you can't motivate professionals. These guys are men. You know they've seen it all, done it all. You know they're 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 playing because this is their job and this is their profession and they and they have pride. But what happened in that game between the Browns and the Steelers when it got out that Freddie Kitchens had worn the T-shirt to the theater that said. Pittsburgh started it, right? And, and what did and, and uh, David DeCastro, the, the terrific offensive lineman for the Steelers, I believe it was him, who said, "Of course that motivated us, right? Of course it did." So he's saying, "Here's a guy who's 30 years old, accomplished in the league, and he's saying that a, that a coach wearing a T-shirt got them motivated to play more, to play better, and play harder." I mean, that's really shameful in a way, isn't it? Shouldn't you be going out every week? Playing as hard as you can. I think there's always that extra kind of little reservoir of, of adrenaline that you can kick in at, at some yeah. point in time. Um, and, you know, you have between 16 regular season games, the preseason, and the number of practices and the reps that you go through. It is, you know, it sometimes you do think you're putting in all the effort that you can or, or all the the attention that you can, and it still appears to everybody in the crowd that you've taken a, de- a game off or a, and a bat mm-hmm. off or, or whatever. And I, I think – I think there's 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 a spot for that. The, the the problem is, especially in football, because it is such a game of controlled of of fiery emotion and right. and, and brute raw brutality. Sometimes that it's hard to get the balance between mm-hmm. where do we have to be thinking and where do we go 
strictly on emotion. Um, and, and I do think it takes guys, uh, players, a little bit of time, unless they're they're absolutely special, to really kind of know where that balance is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, the, the last question is, is this, Kevin. I mean, it, we've been over this, and, and I, I, I think, you know, between what you wrote after the, the Patriots game, what David wrote after the Bills game, it almost seems that there it, it is a fate accompli that, that Jason will be gone. Um, there is a set of circumstances where we feel like he would survive, but I think the reality is that this team, we feel like this team is not going to the NFC Championship. It's not going to the Super Bowl. And so if that's the case, who coaches this team next year in your mind? You know, Where a, does Jerry Jones go for a coach? Uh, it's a great question, and someone asked me that on email yesterday, and I and, and I said uh, Jerry's first uh, option in my mind would always be Sean Payton. Now we know that Sean Payton is tied up, I think, through five more years or with the Saints. Uh, doesn't mean that if he went to him and said, "I give you two first round draft picks for him," right? Uh, would the Saints do that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I tell you what, I think about it. You know, if I could get Sean Payton for a couple of uh, first-rounders, uh, I think I'd take him. I think he's a great coach, and I think he, he does a great job. Uh, I, I, think he's, I think he's underrated for what he does there in New Orleans. And, and we know that Jerry loves him, and he loves Jerry, you know, uh, and likes Dallas. So what could be a better fit than that? After that, and that's a, that's a real long shot, uh, after that, I'm a little lost uh, at what it is that Jerry wants to do, and I and I and I'm going to suggest something here. I don't think it's a good idea. I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Witten wasn't on his list, and and you know Jason's name came up for the Tennessee job several years ago. The Tennessee Volunteers, not the Tennessee Titans, right? Uh, because that's where he played. Um, I, I my problem with 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 Jason Witten is that you know he. Fans would like him a lot better than Jason Garrett because he's so much more emotional and honest and, and transparent and all of that. Um, I just don't you – know, can you really afford to do that? Can you really afford to put the fate of the Cowboys in the hands of a guy who's never coached a lick? Right. And, I, 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 and I, 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 I don't know that that's in Jerry's head. I could just see that, though. I could just see him saying, yeah, here's my guy. He's been a Cowboy forever. I know this guy. And uh, and I like him, and I, and he he could say, you know, people wanted to hire him to coach the Volunteers, so I could see Jerry justifying it in all those in all those ways. I don't think that that would be a good move. Um, you know, after that, you know, so what's your most realistic option for the Cowboys coach? I don't, I don't have one. You know, that that's the problem. I don't. You know, people say that. I think you know, you look around the league. Everybody wants to do uh, uh, Josh McDaniels or somebody like that. Uh, you know, that didn't work out so great in Denver, right? I mean, yes, he went back, and now he's kind of rebuilt his reputation a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I, we, we see what's happened uh, in, uh, in New York. You know, the Jets continually are taking guys who were defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators and making them head coaches. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Jets have been stuck in this malaise now forever is that no you got to go out and hire a real coach man all right so i'm surprised that we're, we're four minutes into this answer and there the name lincoln riley has not come out of your mouth you know here's my problem with the whole lincoln riley thing um 
and and uh, and I'm writing a little bit about this for uh, uh, column for tomorrow. Uh, is uh, and, uh, it, that column's about Texas and about Tom Herman's struggles and his problems, uh, in w- in which I'm saying that that Tom Herman needs to take a step back from the offense, quit dabbling in the offense, hire Graham Harrell as your offensive coordinator. It's his offense. He's going to run it. You're going to be a CEO now, like Mac Brown was. He's not going to be as good of a CEO as Mac Brown because it's not his personality. But I'm saying that that's what you have to do. I'm tired of offensive coaches, who head coaches in college, who feel like they still got to run the offense. Now Lincoln Riley does that, and he does it very well. But he does that at the sacrifice of his defense. Any program where the head coach is the de facto offensive coordinator, you know, in college football, the defense suffers. They're just never as good because the head coach is spending so much time working with the offense. Well, what about the guys who were defensive coordinators who were head coaches? Does the offense suffer? I, I think, you know, what you find on those guys, and here's just my opinion, and I've had this opinion for a long time, and, and maybe that was just because uh, my formative years were spent around a guy like Bill Yeoman who invented the Veer offense. Right. So he was very proud of it. And, he, of course, he was a de facto offensive coordinator there in Houston. Uh, and their uh, and their defenses were, were were pretty good. You know, they weren't great, but they were pretty good. Uh, is that they got bigger egos on the offensive side? That that offensive coordinators are always you know they're creative, right? And they're doing these great things. You know, and defensive coordinators they just want to get off the field. I just want to you know, except for the Ryan's, I just want to get off the field. Yeah. I don't want to impress you with what I'm doing here. You know, Mike Zimmer to me is a classic defensive coordinator. No nonsense, head coach. We're just going to get off the field here. Three downs and you're out. And I think they lead the league. I saw that last night. In third down, you know, you're you're off the field. Three and outs. Three and outs. So um, that's my opinion about that. Now, I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley can't be a great head coach in the NFL. I'm just a little nervous. I know he's a he's a great offensive mind. He's a very charismatic guy. He's got a lot of things going for him. I, I think he's I think he's on the verge. I think they think he's the new Bud Wilkinson. You know, okay. at Oklahoma. You know, they they. They've had Barry Switzer. Now they're going back to Bud, and this is this is the guy that everybody reminds him of, you know. So, I I think it's possible that he's that guy, uh, and that maybe he can do it all. But his defense still hasn't been very good at Oklahoma. They're still just outscoring everybody. Uh, Eight minutes in, and you've not given me a prediction. Yeah, I don't have one. I don't have one. Wow. I I, bet, I really I, I don't. I I I have to say this. I haven't paid much attention to it. I have not gone around the league looking for a successor. And some of that's, you know, because <laughs> I just want to research what I'm writing about. Right. And I and uh, it's a little bit of it's out of respect for Jason. I don't, I don't like the idea of, you know, the guy's still got a job. Right. It seems a little like a vulture to be saying, all right, here's the new guy. Um, but I, I, I just – and then you got to know what Jerry's thinking as well. It, it does take something different. Everybody thinks that Jerry's not going to hire anybody – he hired Bill Parcells. I think that's the answer to that question. When everybody says, oh, he'll always just hire puppets, was Bill Parcells a puppet? You know, Jimmy Johnson wasn't a puppet, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it, it does help if you can get along with Jerry. There's no question about that. Uh, but he'll take somebody if he thinks this guy's going to win, you know. Uh, then then he'll hire this guy and, and go with him. Uh and I, don't, I think and that's, the, and that's the case with, with any general manager. No general manager is going to hire a head coach or a manager who's a jerk and who's going to be, except, except for Mike Leach, which I wrote about today also. Here's I a will, guy I, could get you in trouble. I will also say I believe Jerry Glanville got two NFL head coaching jobs too. So 
Yeah, that's true. And it, there's it, another defensive coordinator who had a little bit of an ego. He did. Uh, it's just it's just rare with defensive coordinators right. to have that kind of stuff. The Ryan's, yeah, Glanville, they're they're those they're the same old. Um, all right, well, let's get out of here with no prediction on the Cowboys coach for 2020. I will accept your answer. You've given us some possibilities. Yeah. Uh, but I also respect the idea that there is still a coach in place, and he does have an opportunity to, uh, however the long, however long the shot may be, he has a chance to uh, cement sure his spot for 2020 I, I and beyond. I say he's a, I say he's at least a 50-50 chance. Well, maybe not. Thirty percent chance of retaining his job. I, I, I'd, I'd probably go that because there's, he's going to have to win a game on the road against mm-hmm. a very good team yeah. to get to the NFC Championship. That's yeah. the bottom line. Right. All right. Let's get out of here. We'll, uh, we'll go to. Uh, we got to come up with a better name than Smorgasbord. And, it, and all you can eat buffet is not good. No. But, but we're going to do some Mavericks. We're going to do some Rangers. It's not really Mavericks talk. It's it's Luca talk. Luca talk. Yeah. Luca talk. Rangers, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of colleges. Since sure. Got, uh, Selection Sunday coming up. Got to. So uh, from both of us in here, and David too. David would want us to say goodbye. Sure from all of us to you. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.